0: Welcome to the Money Mentor Podcast, where you'll learn all about, you guessed it, money. Our mentor, Dave Diggs, is a good old-fashioned Kiwi bloke who came from zero to hero and established nothing short of an empire. Dave donates generously to his community, he owns several finance companies, including Cresta Credit, and yet he failed fifth-form math in high school. His advice is gold, he's a street-smart genius, a man of integrity, and he'll tell you how it is, whether you like it or not. If you want to learn all about money, this is a great opportunity to learn from the very best on offer. In this podcast, Dave shares the secret of how he makes business decisions. We get an insight into his childhood and those gold nugget lessons that helped him achieve exceptional business growth throughout his career. He shares how he got started in business during the 1970s recession and how to structure a successful business partnership. This podcast, it's a must listen for all aspiring entrepreneurs. And if you'd like to get involved, join our Money Mentor Facebook group, ask your questions and we'll answer them in future episodes. Alright Dave, now obviously you've been very successful in life and we we would love to know your story. How did you get started? What were you like when you were a little kid? Um, I'm sure there's there's the good, bad and the ugly that we'd love to hear. I'd love to know what mistakes you made along the, your career journey, in business especially and or what were some of the biggest life lessons? So maybe you can start from when you were a, a kid and, and how you first sort of got interested in business in the first place.
1: Yeah, made a lot of mistakes. I try not to remember too many of them, but some of the, the more painful they are, the more you're likely to recall them, but some, not something I dwell on. But come from Waltham, um, which is a poor part of Christchurch, a happier um, childhood. In um, a poor era, everyone was happy, and we went to school in sandals and bare feet sometimes, and we had marmite sandwiches. But it was quite a, a pleasant environment. And as a child, I don't remember any great dramas. I didn't enjoy school much. It was just... Um, I always took on jobs like um being a milk monitor and you know um did uh, not much good at sports either, so sports that I could um easily um not have to attend too well like um Harry is and just where they where you, they never notice you're missing um so I took on those sort of extra roles at school um more to get out of class than anything else, so you know childhood was a happy time for us, and um well, you know we, mum and dad uh, both worked and uh, you know mum worked till three. At home when we got home from school just that school was not a, a place
0: that i felt tell us about that why wasn't school very good for you or what did what did you not enjoy it i mean obviously you're probably one of the smartest guys i know what didn't resonate for you
1: well blokes often don't do schooling like girls do and um you know girls are often m- more happy um drawing and studying and reading but blokes probably want to British bulldog and ball, and, and I was probably just a typical bloke, really. I'd much rather be out doing something than than studying. But hey, some guys study and they do it well. But um, for me, that didn't work. And schools designed, um, you know, teachers try and educate you to to be in their light, like, which we all kind of do. Because if you want to join my um, my sports club, and I'm encouraging, hey, come and come and do water skiing. You know, this is a really cool sport. That's what we do. We kind of encourage people to be like us, but that's not really the case, is it, in real life?
0: No, and you were telling me a story when you were um, young, you were in your math class and um, you, you'd, I don't know, you were talking or whatever and you got in a little bit of trouble and you had to answer questions and end up. Uh, tell us about that story, if you can remember.
1: Yeah, that's probably in, um, you know, what we call year, uh, fifth form, so it would be year 13 in high school and always talking and, you know, interrupting, etc. and the teacher, you know, would, what's the answer to that? Maths class? 92 sir but in fact you asked was 94 but in, in real life it, it doesn't quite matter but to pass an exam it's critical and so you know your best guess and gut feelings often near enough and in business you know we, we run on the policy if you've got 70% of the information you should make the decision because if you wait till you've got 100% of the information someone else would have done it and to be that perfect is really difficult if you can pull it off but Run, run with your gut feeling rather than the absolute fact because you normally are, are right. And uh, if I get it wrong, I can live with my mistakes. That's just the way it is. But if I relied on someone else to provide me with information and made the decision on that and the decision was wrong, I'd be really angry, especially if I had to pay them to get me the information. So run with your gut. If you get it wrong, well, that's just life. You learn something and move on.
0: Well, can it kind of depends what you're doing, I guess. So um, if you're talking about aeroplanes and, you know, you get it just slightly wrong, then those planes might I drop will- at it might drop out of the sky. So it sort of depends on the industry, of course, but you're yes. so you're so right. And that was such a valuable lesson that you taught me at the time was that Ash near enough will actually be good enough in life. And, and I think your career is a really good example of that. You're fast at making decisions and the most successful people I actually know move faster than anybody else. So pace is your friend. And if you fall into that anal- analysis paralysis, You're right. Those people that really, really love the detail, a lot of them, they never get started.
1: Well, momentum's your friend. And when you haven't got it, it's your worst enemy. Yeah. So the problem is with momentum is when you're on a roll, you're kind of doing stuff and making decisions and you think, why am I doing this when I'm already busy? But you've got a clearer vision at the top of the hill and when you're down in the valley, you can't see far. It's really difficult in the valley to see. So you're, you're flat out, you're making lots of decisions and but when you're on the top of the mountain, you can see clearly. And um, while it seems an inappropriate time, it's worked for me to – and uh, not everyone's got that ability, of course, You know, or the um, desire to do their business or their income in front of other things. And, hey, you know, we're quite disciplined about our family time. But, you know, business to me is my hobby as well as, as my career. So it's fun and I enjoy it. And 80% of that is. So it's just a different attitude to – to business than what a lot of people would have, you know, you need a bit of an appetite for risk, and uh, hey, it's been pretty tough the last nine weeks, and you feel like your business is decaying. What are you seemingly holidaying? But for me, uh, the holidaying was quite stressful because uh, I just felt that business was slipping away from me. while we couldn't couldn't leave the house.
0: Yeah, so anyway. you're talking about you're talking about coronavirus, obviously, and and the lockdown that New Zealand's been in. But let's just go back to your story about you as a youngster. Obviously, what job did you do as a youngster? And how did that look? And and what are some of the basic learnings that you learned from that that you still use today?
1: One of my early um, jobs, probably when I was about twelve, is I I had to mow the family lawn, which I was happy to do. That's what you know, we all families have to chip in. And um, we had a, a lawn mower, a, a motor mower, just a basic i pretty basic, but um, I started mowing lawns for some of the neighbours, and gradually um, built up a, a reasonable lawn mowing round like. Maybe 14 customers, doesn't sound a lot, but if you've got to do that every 10 days, it was quite a bit of work. And uh, so I would work after school while well, my mates were standing on the corner talking to their girlfriend. I'd be home mowing moms And my mates, some of my mates laughed at me, you know, and that's fine. You're going to get brittled, ridiculed when you um, do something different. And uh, on Saturday, I would work most of the day if it was a fine Saturday. I had a policy of um, spend half the money and save half. So on Saturday night, I had a bit more money than my mates because I. So just saying today, I'm not 100 bucks. So I'd 50 bucks more to spend than they did, and I'd save $50, which I could invest in back in the business. Which in my case, I put back into buying a um, much better lawnmower that was much easier to start and did a much better job.
0: Okay, so you, you invested back into the business, which made you more efficient. You could probably serve more customers in a shorter space, space of time, is that right?
1: And this energy wasn't so exhausted at the end of the day. Yes, and probably never been that good at saving money, but I have been really good at um, paying down debt quickly and yeah. um, avoiding debt and investing, um, living on a, a set income because that's really what kills a lot of businesses, how much the proprietor's taken out of the business. They spend too much money when they, they should have So, been we,
0: so when you market. say proprietor, you're talking about the owner of the business?
1: Exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah, the owner spending too much money. They've been holidaying or buying jet boats or whatever too much and or flash cars and not living on a lower income and investing back into the business.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, one thing that I've uh, I guess picked up over over time in business is that it's there's like a when you're growing a business, there's a little sweet spot that you can sit in. And if you can kind of sit in that for a little while and enjoy the fruits that are coming to you and then go again. So where you increase your overheads um you know have that little pause of enjoying those profits, and then go again before spending money, reinvesting and doing all those sorts of things. So it's a little bit like a staircase approach. Does that kind of make sense to you as well, Dave?
1: Yes, you earn the money before you spend it. And so many um, people, they get into business and um, they want a new car and live the business life and they haven't made the money yet. Earn the money first and restrict your your personal expenses. So, you know, if you can live on fifty or $60,000 a year and you're earning a hundred, then make sure you only spend you know, a grant a week, take it out of your com- company to your private account, and just make sure you can control your living inside that and And, and my wife's been very good at that; and so never asked for extra money. And, and we just um, set a wage that we could live on, and we lived on that. And the rest of the money, then we had to develop the business and mature
0: as as time went on. Yeah, so there's obviously the temptation of going and buying the jet skis and the new cars and all that when when a business owner comes in and then they realise, oh, oh no, I've got a tax bill down the track, so they get themselves into trouble. That's a big mistake that a lot of people make. But there's also the you want to reinvest, you want to buy the new gear, you want to you want to buy a new software system to improve efficiencies. There's that kind of drive as well. Which in my case, in my experience, I was probably a little bit too hasty in some of those areas, and I should have just kind of slowed it down, earned the money first then gone, whereas I sort of always was driving at 7,000 revs, if that made sense, and it and it would have made a lot more sense to have that staircase approach. But let's come back to you, and let's talk about your lawnmowing job. What did you do after that?
1: After that, I was um, probably 17 years old by then, and uh, made on cars since I was two years old, like a lot of boys. And so I started buying and selling cars quietly from home and presenting them beautifully and fixing seats and Doing mechanical work, which I knew how to do because I just learned it as we went to watch my dad. And in the end, you know, I had a couple of cars on the forecourt at the local service station. And McCollum was the service station, they were Suzuki agents. And he was kind to me. I just paid him a, an amount each time I sold a car. But after a while, the local dealers' association came to me and said, um, You shouldn't be doing this. You've sold too many cars and you need to get a license or quit. So um, I thought I would apply for a license. I had a, a friend who's a couple of years younger than me, Neil Barker was his name, and we started a partnership, Big Sparker Sales, and we applied for a licence. And then the um, Dealers Association opposed our application on the basis that we'd had no experience.
0: So hold on, they asked you to get a licence and then they opposed it?
1: Absolutely. <laughs> well, and um, we couldn't really tell the court we'd had a heap of experience because um, we didn't have a licence to be selling all these cars, so... Anyway, finally um we got a licence after a, a whole lot of drama and and traded. But then we hadn't been trading long and we went into a recession. We're talking about nineteen seventy four. We had the oil crisis, so we had carless days and it was pretty tough going, you know, and, and I wasn't that good a car dealer. We um, could make money selling cars but the English cars were a little unreliable and we when people come back complaining we're a bit too inclined to fix stuff when we retrospectively we were too soft we should have been a a bit tougher not real tough but a bit tougher on what we were paying for when people come back complaining and people abused that a little bit and so at the end of the month we made money selling cars and spent most of it on fixing things probably half of which we we shouldn't have and we might have had a little bit of grumpy customers but you know firm but fair has been a policy i've adopted after that um and we were probably just um fair not firm and so i never made any money at that really Okay. And survive, made
0: wages. So firm but fair has become a policy for you, whereas before you were too fair, not firm enough.
1: Absolutely. Um, okay. and if people if you're firm but fair with people, they might be grumpy on the day, but in a few days' time if you are fair they they, they respect that and by and large it's a policy that's worked for us.
0: Hmm, okay. Well one thing you obviously did do because you know, you're a little bit senior to me, so I, I don't remember your car dealership, but everybody else in Christchurch seems to, everybody older than me seems to understand or, or know exactly who Dave Dick's cars or motor vehicles or whatever the name was, it, who that was. So you've got obviously a very, very good reputation. So tell me how you transitioned then into a finance company after that.
1: Well, we were selling quite cheap cars and the people wanted to pay weekly, so uh, 50 bucks a week um, rather than 200 a month. So I went to the finance companies we were dealing with, two different ones, and said, Hey, our clients want to pay weekly or fortnightly and they just couldn't handle it. They had no ability to do that. They had no interest either. Because in those days, when you wanted to borrow money, you went pleading to the bank or the finance company cap in hand. And this went on for a couple of years and I thought this is ridiculous. And we'll just we do it. We've decided we do it ourselves. So with next to no money, we started the weak finance company and the people just come in and paid us and we just had no book really owed me a thousand dollars. You paid fifteen. Now you're nine fifty. You put a bit of interest on. It was a, it was accurate, but it was not very efficient. But it was really it was before the days of computers. And so we did that for about three years. And then finally, um, we bought a computer. And that wasn't that reliable or helpful either. But it enabled us to step up to another level. Still a pretty small finance company. And we just gradually built the finance company up to the point where, and then we were financing all our own cars. And then we were able to provide loans to our own customers and that was way more successful than being a car dealer for me. And we'd never touched any of that money. I just lived on what I was able to make as a car dealer and we let the finance company build up on its own, you know, so that over time you end up with a reasonable asset and, and that's what happened. But how
0: did you So so how did you how did you end up, I guess, closing the car company that would have been a seriously bold move to have closed the Car dealership was, which was your main source of income for the finance company.
1: The finance company kept growing, and uh, after a long time, I mean, like twelve years, the finance company was earning quite good money, way way more than the car company, which was doing hardly any better than my, my wages, really. And so we we just made the call that, well, um, my son came into the business, and he did it for a couple of years. And he didn't enjoy it, and so we just closed it. And it didn't much matter to me then because we had significant income coming up of the finance business we've built
0: up. Okay. Okay. And then somewhere along the journey, you invested in a young chap and he was in the waste management business. Do you want to tell us about that?
1: Well, as a lender, you meet all sorts of interesting people and get all sorts of opportunities and insights. And so a friend of mine, Peter Roberts, introduced me to Sebastian Stolperton that had a small rubbish company, I think five trucks and a couple of girls in the office and um, heaps heaps of debt and Sebastian was a, a pretty go-getter young fellow, 22 years old and honest up front. He needed a business partner because he couldn't really pay back any debt. And um, I didn't want to be a 50-50 partner because um, from, we're Christian, so that's an unequal yoke. So I took a 30% holding in his company and then advanced him some more money to keep the shareholding.
0: So can and we Sebastian. can we just go back to that? So you took a 30% and you kept, gave him 70%. So if- and and is that something that you would generally do? If someone's driving the business, you generally give them a majority share because they kind of deserve that. And eventually, if you have too much, then like resentment would kick in and things like that. Is that a purposeful tactic that you use? For
1: sure. Yeah. It worked well for it. I mean, and I guess when you're in, a, in business with another person, what you've got to establish up front is how much they want their wages to be.
0: Yep. You
1: don't want to be in discussions of how much for you, how much for me, Going forward in, a, in a, a business venture because you'll be opposing each other. So, you need to set the boundaries. So, how much do you need? You want 70,000 per year as an income like that's your wages or whatever it is, and get that clearly defined before you start. And so, if you're getting 70, then maybe I can have 20 as a director, and um, then you're not fighting all the time about who should get what, and you can get two to enlarge the business. And Sebastian had, um, had a previous business partner that kept wanting to increase his shareholding and take Sebastian out but there was no great fear of me ever doing that because of our um, Christian beliefs, and we were happy with the way um, it was growing. And Sebastian was a good business partner. Hey, we, we had our disagreements for sure, but we got through them and moved on. This was a long-term project, and it, it turned out pretty good for us. We grew the company, or mostly Sebastian, I hope, um, although you know, the bit of wisdom along the way helps the young fellow. Uh, and we, we had like 70 staff, and... Forty odd vehicles and three branches and recycling and you know, curbside collection and running it the Dumper Burton and, and Hoker took it. was a bit happening. Um and then um finally we sold that to a railway store
0: um amount that we were happy with. So if anybody's uh, wondering which company that was, that was MasterGuard and um Sebastian Stapleton, very, very talented young guy, moved on to uh, other businesses now, but Dave, I think um, what you said, you, you get someone older with a wee bit of wisdom, someone younger with a, a whole lot of energy and and a bit of nous about them, and it's a very, very good combination. Yes, mm.
1: another friend of mine um, talk, told me that early on. Um, Ken's a Mr. Friend of mine, and he says, yep, young guy with enthusiasm and all, all fellows of money and wisdom, great combination, and, and it worked well for me okay. on that occasion and others.
0: Ken was uh, involved in the warehouse when it first got started. Is that right?
1: Yes, yeah, good. Uh, a great Ken is a very good friend of mine. Most helpful, me a lot of um wisdom along the way and mentored me and helped
0: me a lot. So from this, um obviously you're one of my mentors and you're we're recording this audio as as uh, mentorship to other people. But what would you say to youngsters that are wanting to start out in business, or well, maybe they're part way along the journey and they need they need to find uh someone that can just sort of calibrate them, steer them back on track when they because everybody derails from time to time everybody has bad days they make dumb decisions and we have to clean them up so like, how would you how would you approach someone like yourself
1: um they normally come from your friendship because it's not it's not a job you do for pay you you've really got to want to do that and so you've got to look around your friends or your father's friends or family friends um or that person it's seldom will be a, a person your own age though I heard some very good friends not too to dissimilar. An age of himself, but one was about 10 years older and um a huge help to me watching his mistakes as I went along and uh, helped me to avoid some of those. that I had made enough of my own anyhow without making someone else's mistakes. So if you learn from someone else's mistakes, way much
0: better than learning from your own. Yeah, but unfortunately you tend to see other people's mistakes, but you have to learn them yourself as well to really understand them. Okay, so let's, let's wrap this up because uh, we're 20 minutes into this podcast. But Dave, can you think of like two or three life lessons that you've learned throughout your business career that you maybe be able to share the first one was firm but fair have you got any others that have,
1: control that... your personal expenses thats really critical you know if you're making a hundred grand a year and you start spending 120 it's only a matter of time three years later we spent 60 grand more than you' have earned and it's going to bite you've got to control your personal expenditure so that would be the probably the, the key thing is to control your own expenses and that's you know, the motor vehicle travel, all those things were uh, not absolutely necessary, more eco related than success related.
0: Yeah. You got anything else? Oh, bound to be. Yeah. Bound um, to
1: be. Okay. <laughs> I just can't think
0: right of the moment. That's all right. I've, okay. I've got one. And it was, um, it was, it was kind of like, when I first got into business, it was like picking up a rugby ball and running. I didn't really know the rules. I scored a few tries. I served my customers really well. They were really happy. The business was thriving from that point of view, but I didn't really totally understand tax. And to put it simply, if you and I, Dave, were to have a, a meeting and we went and bought a can of Coke for a dollar fifteen, and let's pretend, Dave, for a minute that. I'm an employee, and you're the you're the business owner and or, or business person. But it is a business meeting. I'm an employee, so I pay a dollar fifteen for that can of Coke. Um, but actually, in, in actual fact, I've paid what a dollar thirty, dollar forty, because I've already been taxed on my wages. So I've got after tax money, right? So while I'm paying a dollar forty, you're paying a dollar fifteen. But that's not right either, because you're the business owner. So you actually, because it's a business meeting, you get to claim fifteen cents back, which is GST. So that lowers it to a dollar. So instead of my dollar forty, it's a dollar. But in actual fact, because it's a business expense, again, you get income tax off it as well, which is 28 cents. So you're paying yep. 72 cents and I'm paying a dollar forty. Yeah, that's good. And that's a really, really uh massive advantage of being in business. And to truly understand that and to and and that's a very simple way of describing it, but to understand that, just change the game completely. So I was playing the game, but I really didn't understand the rules. Like Richie McCaw, for example, why was he so good? because he really, really understood the rules, and then he was able to obviously um, exploit the rules probably as well. So anyway, let's wrap this up, Dave. Any any last wise words from you? Warren
1: Buffett says if you want to get really rich, you've got to live longer. And to me, that means it's a long journey. You're not going to make money in five years. Oh, Maybe a few do, and you see those headline chases. But really, it's um, steady as you go, ups and downs over 10, 15, 20 years. And I had a goal of... Um, when I got to um, retirement or close to that age, I didn't want to be in a position where I had um, good health and time and no money. And so that was a cost back at age 40 to 50 that to build up a, a bit, bit of a reserve in the background so that I would not be um, in, a, in a later stage of life when you haven't got energy where I would be able to enjoy that more when I did have time.
0: Absolutely. Mate, this is absolute gold. Once again, thank you very much for your time sure everybody enjoyed listening to it pleasure talk again once again the advice from our money mentor dave it's gold recognize that this advice is for free so if you'd like to show your support jump onto the cresta credit website or facebook page and give them a great review please like and share this podcast to help kiwi families understand money making life just a little bit easier.